Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Upon reaching his doorstep yet again, Rafael Muslani had promised me routine. Sleep without dinner, which was my preference. A dream, seemingly facilitated by his home and his luxury. And then breakfast before I set out on my next journey. That journey resulting in the next location ad infinitum. After waking up in the small bedroom where I had spent the night, I made my way to the breakfast nook, instinctually, only to find no one there and no breakfast prepared. I was seemingly alone in the house. I did not see Lucy, the largest cat in the world. Lucy had vanished without a trace from my bedroom sometime between my sleeping and waking. I did not see her leash, the longest leash in the world, which I expected to be strewn about in all directions around the house. I did not see Rafael Muslani, airport novelist. I had not seen him since the night prior. All evidence pointed to me being alone. This did not concern me. The routine was not a product of necessity. It had been something that was developed and was perpetuated by its initial development. 
Its interruption was taken in stride. I was not lonely. I sat in the breakfast nook, alone, with one of the gifts that Lucy had brought me from the discoveries she had made as she ran in front of me, a faded novel with the cover page blank. I flipped through the pages for any sign of the author, the front and the back, the tops of the pages, but all were faded beyond recognition. Something told me that this wasn't a Raphael Muslani novel. The construction of the book didn't feel modern. It may have been abandoned in the wilderness before Raphael Muslani ever even wrote his first novel. I turned to the first page that had visible writing on it and began to read. It was a dreary Tuesday morning when I hired Tobias, the book read, those ten words being the only decipherable words across the first eight pages of the book, those words in particular clear and preserved as though they were written in sequence. Though it was obvious from the distance between them that there were dozens of words in between each one. Each page was formerly filled with words from top to bottom in the traditional novel format, but bleached almost entirely to death by weather. The words that survived the ordeal were scattershot. The original sentences almost definitely did not attach the concept of dreariness to Tuesday morning, or hiring to Tobias. Rain and sunlight were responsible for intersecting these concepts with each other, and not the author. Tobias was a gaunt man in his forties, severe in appearance, but eager to please and embarrassingly overqualified to be an assistant of any sort. I personally found melancholy in how comfortable he was to settle into a role more lowly than he deserved. But he had what he called a quote-unquote servant soul, and a penchant for putting others at ease that I envied. Those words comprised the rest of the thirty-odd pages of the first chapter, scattered about haphazardly. I could tell that it was the end of the first chapter because the indiscernible faded words stopped short at the end of the page, and continued starting about halfway down the next page. I flipped forward through the book, hoping that the remaining pages survived better than this first chapter, but all appeared to be fragments all the way through. I found myself intrigued by the whole of the novel as an object, not just the words that I could read, feeling wistful that much of it was unrecoverable, lost to time with very little in the way of hints as to what its original composition was. But this was a fallacy. I did not miss the book that I could never read. It did not tell the same story as the one that I was reading. The juxtaposition of these words was not intentional, it was aleatoric fully the product of happenstance. The book that I missed was the book that I had in whole in front of me. The book that used to exist is a book that I know nothing about, other than the presumption that one of the characters was named Tobias. Though, as I studied the pages, looking for more words to read, it occurred to me that the name Tobias was always visible near the top and center of alternating pages meaning that Tobias could be the name of the author, printed endlessly across the top of the book. Too stodgy to be Tobias Wolf, I thought, though I did not truly know what the original story contained, or, particularly if it were Tobias Wolf, if it were a single story at all or a collection of short stories. Tobias labored indefatigably at my side, leaving only when I requested my privacy and to return to his quarters at night. The pages were wavy and reticent to pull apart from each other, bound together by moisture. I took special care when separating them, out of fear of losing even more words. The chapter continued. This made me suspicious in its own right. 
The lifestyle that I was offering Tobias was not enough to make a man content. His contentedness hinted to me that there was an ulterior motive to his choices, one that was kept entirely secret from myself. Though, I rationalized, no one is the perfect keeper of his own secrets, and lack of evidence is not evidence. I continued to invest in his services, paying him graciously and with gratitude for many months, without even the slightest inconvenience from Tobias and whatever his secret motivations might have been. The phrase, the death of the author, while having taken on a colloquial meaning that departs from the original one, was a method of literary criticism developed in the mid-20th century as a tentpole of the new criticism movement. A crude simplification of it might say, the text is a whole object unto itself and thus can be analyzed without input from other sources, most notably additional text from the author explaining the text. Removing authorial intent from the discussion is a useful tool, because it allows critics to examine what is actually there. If I told you that this wasn't the story of Eliza Schultz, and was instead intended as a play-by-play -play of an NBA basketball game, you could easily understand why it would be necessary to dismiss me out of hand. The NBA basketball game does not exist in the text. Eliza Schultz does. So. Does the story of Tobias the Faithful Assistant exist in the text? It was certainly not the intent of any author, but we are discarding authorial intent for this example. Is the story not in the text because the text would radically recontextualize the words used to tell the story? That context has been destroyed, there is no reference text to make that claim about. Is Tobias the servant of the protagonist of the story? Or is Tobias the author the servant through which Rain and Sun transformed words into story? Does it matter? And if it doesn't matter, why do I feel wistful about a book that I have never read and can never read? What remains if you sunbleach the pages of the diary of Eliza Schultz? There were more words buried deep into the novel near the end. I feared that it would conclude without fulfilling its thesis. Quote, a suspicious mind is truly a curse. Phantoms appear out of nowhere and then retreat into the shadows before you can face them or, worse, replace themselves with loved ones before you can withdraw your attack. It was this curse that controlled my body as I found myself monitoring Tobias during the time alone when he had left my side for the night. I discovered what in retrospect was tautological that people do things that aren't your business when it isn't your business to be observing them." End quote. I turned the next several pages all the way to the end, only to find the rest of the novel blank. You know, I always wondered what Tobias was up to, a voice over my left shoulder said, softly and warmly, but suddenly enough to make me bolt upright and shut the book as though I were committing some sort of misdeed for reading it. Raphael Muslani continued, I always thought that it would have been interesting if Tobias had applied for the job because he had seen this beautiful glowing golden bird fly into the protagonist's basement and he couldn't help but see for himself. So he tends to the bird every night, brings it scraps, maybe it's injured and has to be nourished back to health. So the guy sees Tobias going into the basement every night, but there's only one door into the basement, and if he went through the door then Tobias would see him so he has no idea what Tobias is doing down there. 
and he feels so guilty for being suspicious in the first place, and Tobias doesn't seem to be causing anyone any harm, so he makes the executive decision to trust Tobias and let him do whatever he wants, out of sight, out of mind. And a year or so passes, and Tobias comes to him one day and says he's quitting his job. He explains that he took the job under false pretenses to care for the bird stuck in the basement unbeknownst to anyone else, and now the bird was fully grown and ready to fly away, and Tobias was too. And the protagonist is confused and sad, but he trusts Tobias, and he knew that keeping him by his side forever was too good to be true, and that Tobias was clearly bound for better things. So he smiles and says that he's happy that Tobias has set out what he accomplished to do. He and Tobias go outside where there is this 50-foot-tall glowing golden bird, beautiful and terrifying in its scale. The protagonist isn't sure whether to flee in terror or to cry at its beauty. Tobias stands on one of the massive talons and wraps his arm around the leg of the bird. The bird nuzzles Tobias's head with its massive beak, gives a knowing look back to the protagonist, and the two of them fly off into the dreary Tuesday morning air, a parallel to the beginning of the novel. The End. Raphael Muslani had walked around to the other side of the table while he spoke, and had pushed a styrofoam container over to me while he described his ending to the story. He had a container in front of himself as well. The smell of bacon, eggs, hash browns, pancakes emanated from the container. There's a breakfast place right down the road from here that I've been meaning to check out, he explained. Sorry if I frightened you by not being here when you woke up. I should have left a note. That's quite alright, I replied. Are you the one who wrote this book? I don't recognize the surviving portions, and it didn't feel like something you'd write. I didn't write it, he confirmed. So you're the one who threw it away, I asked. Lucy brought it to me on the walk over here. Hmm... I didn't throw it away either, Muslani said. I thought that you had picked it off a bookshelf in the foyer. In fact, he trailed off, leaving the nook briefly before returning with an identical copy of the book, complete with water damage. Here's my copy, he said, holding it out to me. It was the same book. Where did you find your copy? I asked. I just told you, he said, smiling. It was in the foyer, on the bookshelf. Do you know who wrote it? I asked. I am perfectly incurious about that, he said, chuckling. I presume that you didn't ask yourself who wrote the shiny rock that Lucy brought to you on that same journey. I am as equally concerned with that, which is to say, I am not. What is different about me? Why am I curious? I asked. It's such an intriguingly incorrect question to ask, isn't it? Raphael Muslani asked. How can it not matter? So many things are supposed to matter which don't. I'm an author, Eliza. The story of Tobias the Assistant gave me what I asked for. It gave me the underpinnings to draw my own conclusions. Was it supposed to do something else? But it isn't a story, and it isn't the story that it once was. So I feel like it failed to fulfill a promise of some kind, I said. Did this story make that promise, or is that an assumption that we expect about stories? They are not actually beholden to our assumptions. They are not real. They are words that point to things, and those things are analogous to things that are real, but they are not limited to the real. 
This is a weakness and a strength, but also a sign that they are not limited by way of our constructions, because we can always construct around the constructions. To me, Tobias flies away with the golden bird. Is that enough for you? I asked. What would I do if it wasn't? He replied. I didn't have an answer for him. Eat up, Eliza. I want to try this food before it gets cold, so I know whether or not that restaurant is good enough to revisit. I could have made all of these here, but there's something so inviting about breakfast food from a restaurant. And then after that, you and Lucy can be on your way. I popped open the styrofoam container. Eggs, bacon, pancakes, hash browns. Tobias flew away with the golden bird. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.